Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 253 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast for Sunday, April 29, 2012. On tonight's show, only just a few days left. The countdown is on, kids, until the AAFP NCSC meeting, one of the largest family medicine advocacy meetings of the entire year. And uh, my guest just coming up uh, will be uh, Dr. Robin Liu, who is the new physician member of the AFP Board of Directors. The Academy defines a new physician as a family doctor Woo-hoo! in the first seven years following your residency graduation. So we'll talk about that. All that and a lot more coming up on episode 253 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my new best friend who I've never met, who I will meet this week, the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians, Dr. Um, this year, one of my commitments and, and a great interest is to be more engaged with you as leaders, chapter leaders, uh, and, and our frontline membership. Uh, on, on Monday, a Twitter handle, I'm privileged to be the first one to hold, uh, at AFP Prez, P-R-E-Z. I already have 29 followers. I feel so proud. Um, I have a long, long way to go to catch up to uh, our current student board member, Kevin Bernstein, who has a little over 1,000. Um, and our, uh, our king of family medicine, social media, uh, Mike Sevilla, who has uh, nearly 7,000 uh, members.
that's right. The musical stylings of Revolve that we'll be playing this week at the NCSC meeting. Welcome to the show that is passionate about medicine and social media. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on a Sunday night here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. My name is Mike Sevilla. I am your host, the hardest working family physician in social media right now. That's right. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Hey, uh, what is this show about? Hey, uh, what I tell people, uh, this is... Uh, Social media through the eyes of a family physician. I encourage you to check out my digital library of stuff, which is basically blog posts, audio podcasts, videos, and more at familymedicinerocks.com. Shout out to all 8,852 people. Follow me on Twitter. Why? I have no idea. But thank you so much for that. My name is uh, Dr. Mike Sabilla over there, Dr. Mike Sabilla. Also, shout out to all 375 people who like the Facebook page. Facebook.com slash FamMedRocks. And today is Sunday, April 29, 2012. It is 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific time. And here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters, feels like 59 degrees Fahrenheit. It's been a good weekend here in Northeastern Ohio. How's your weekend been going? And I want to thank everybody. Hey, you know, kids, let, let me tell you this. Uh, they're, they're noticing. Some people are noticing out there that people are listening to this show because uh, – um, I've been asked to mention some stuff here uh, because uh, because you're listening and people are noticing that you're listening. I want to give a big shout-out to an event I'm going to be at next month on May 17 and 18 in New York City. It will be the Connecting HCSM conference. Go to ConnectingHCSM.com and uh, check out the uh, illustrious speaker list other than me. <laughs> And, uh, hey, you know, they even gave me a discount code for people out there who want to register for the conference. If you're going to be in the Big Apple in that time or if you live there, you can get there. Uh, just go to uh, ConnectingHCSM.com and uh, enter the promo code Dr. Mike Sevilla, D-R Mike Sevilla, and I'll give you a discount there. And it's uh, May 17 and 18 at Roosevelt Hospital which is, uh, the address is 1010th Avenue at 59th Street in New York City. New York City! So uh, thank you for uh, giving me a discount code. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I just want to give uh, the layout of the land here in the next few days. Um, tomorrow night, tomorrow night here on this show, will be the convener himself. Dr. Jay Lee will be here making fun of me. Uh, no, not really. We had a great conversation. It's a recorded interview, but we'll be playing it tomorrow night, and uh, and uh, he's going to be talking about a lot of good stuff. And uh, on Wednesday morning of this week, uh, I will be in Kansas City, and I will be uh, having another show there in the morning. I haven't decided what time yet, but an exclusive interview that I will be announcing tomorrow night. An exclusive interview. Can I tease that anymore? <laughs> so it's going to be another good uh, good week of shows here. Uh, so my guest uh, coming up in just a few minutes here, uh, Dr. Robin Liu, and uh, this this interview here has been a, a year in the making, uh, let me tell you. Um, so I uh, tried to get her on the show uh, last year before this NCSE conference, and our schedules could not uh, uh, match up. Um, in fact, uh, uh, she was going to come on the show, and then she had, a, uh, I believe, a charity event she was participating in, and yeah, I can't say no to that. And uh, over the past year, we just haven't had our schedules match up until now, so very excited that she's going to be coming up here in a little bit. She was formerly living in Tribune, Kansas, and uh, doing a lot, of, uh, a lot of great stuff out there. She was a member of the Board of Directors of the Kansas Academy, and she's all, she was also chair of the uh, – 
Kansas AFP Practice Enhancement Committee and former member of the Government Advocacy Committee. And uh, now she's out in Oregon, and she'll probably tell part of that story too. But uh, she, uh, her position out there is the Oregon Health and Science University, where she's an assistant professor of family medicine and clinical evidence specialist at the Center for Evidence-Based Policy. What does that mean? Uh, she'll explain that. Um, and also in her bio here, it says, as a part of her commitment to ensuring health care for everyone, uh, she attended the October 2009 Doctors Call for Health Reform meeting with President Obama at the White House. She uh, got her medical degree at the uh, University of Kansas School of Medicine, completed a combined residency of family medicine and preventative medicine at the Oregon Health Sciences University, and has her Master's of Public Health at Portland State University College of Urban and Public Affairs. And uh, yeah, I got to know her last uh, couple of years, just hanging out at the MCSC meeting, causing trouble, and um, and uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, just uh, you know, advocacy wise, you know, <laughs> trying to get people upset and yelling at us and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, so this is gonna be it's gonna be a good uh, good chat here uh, coming up. But first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for having me be a feature host here on the network. Thank you so much for that. Uh, and if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a full-time private practice family physician here in a beautiful northeastern Ohio. And um, I will take my break here. So we went a little bit long in this first segment because I wanted to play the musical stylings of Revolve, uh, our good friend uh, uh, Ray Sapatelli and uh, a, his Beatles tribute band is going to be playing during the conference on Thursday night. And uh, you should go check out their website. They have some good videos on there uh, of them during their live performances. Uh, I believe their website is called uh, revolveband.com, revolveband.com. And we're going to be having a good time on Thursday night. So shout out to Ray and Revolve. Uh, so we'll take our break. You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. Just Google FM Revolution for more details. Also, big shout-out to the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can check them out at fmec.net. And also a member of the ProMed Network of podcasts. You can get there by going to promednetwork.com. Dr. Robin Liu is coming up right after this. Media. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. My name is Mike Sabella. On the line with us, been waiting a year for this interview. Very excited about this. Dr. Robin Liu from the West Coast of the United States. There, Robin, welcome to the show. There, my friend. Hey, thanks, Mike. So, how's it going out there? Uh, how, how you been doing? Get, getting excited it's for the been, meeting? Yes, very excited for the meeting. It's going great out here. Spring came a little later to the West Coast, I think, than to the rest of the country. Um, but you know, it's, it's here, it's gorgeous. Um, 
And, yeah, really excited about getting to Kansas City this week, back to NCSC, my favorite meeting all year, and getting to see some uh, friends. So. Yes, yes, and we'll definitely dive into that. I want to, I want to first start off with an apology that uh, we couldn't uh, match up uh, last year before this meeting, but, uh, you know, better late than never, huh? Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Um, all right. So, um, you know, as I start out with, with a lot of my guests, with with a very hard-hitting and very difficult question just to start out, just to throw you off. So, Dr. Robert Lou, let me ask you, you know, what uh, what's really cool about your job? Why do you love, you know, this, this specialty that we have? Why do you love family medicine? Uh, it's just, you know, I, I tell medical students all the time, this is the best job in the world. Um, you really are the first point of contact for people um, who come to you with, you know, their fears, with their needs, with, you know, whatever, you know, something's wrong and they're looking to you to help them with it. And, you know, you get to be that person who sort of walks them through um, the healing process, um, <clears throat> who gets to, you know, maybe be the first person to talk to them about um, a disease process that maybe they didn't even know about, you know, like hypertension or something, and and um, <clears throat> to help them discover, you know, their own ability to manage their health and to really just, just be the person that they turn to with, with those kinds of needs. And um, especially the kind of family medicine I do, which I know, you know, everybody has their own style, their own mix of, of patients and things, but, um, you know, I really love, seeing whole families, you know, maternity care, um, obstetrics, pediatrics, adolescents, um, you know, adults, chronic disease, geriatrics. I just, I, I love having that whole family um, able to be my patients in order to, you know, get to know the whole family, get to know the environment, get to know the, the situations people are in because, you know, 99% of what determines how healthy someone is happens outside of my office. And so, being a family physician is the only way to really kind of get a picture of that. I don't think other doctors get that, um, you know, have any idea of what's what's going on in the 99% of someone's life or 99.9% of their life um, that they're not talking to you or, or taking a prescription that you gave them. So um, so I, I, I just love the, the comprehensiveness of it, the continuity of it, the relationships, um, you know, and and I love teaching. Um, I love having students and residents in my clinic. I love talking through problems and um, helping to make diagnoses. And and it's really gratifying when somebody comes to you with a problem, and then after they see you, like you make them better. And it's it's just it's the most satisfying thing ever. Did you uh, um, did you always want to go to medical school? I mean, what uh, what kind of drew you you know towards it? I mean, is there a somebody in medicine in your family or do you remember a, a certain situation or a certain person or a certain mentor to kind of guide you towards that uh, direction? Yeah, so from the time I was five until I was about 17, I was going to be a marine biologist. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and I grew up on the Great Plains. I, I grew up in north central Kansas, but I was... Uh, I was yeah, fascinated. A, you know, everybody a, thinks about, you know, oh, well, no little girls like whales and dolphins and stuff. No, I like tide pools. Um, <laughs> I wanted to study tide pools and all the fascinating, strange little creatures that live in tide pools. Um, 
And then um, when I was 17, I got the chance to go to a marine biology summer camp um, in L.A. at Occidental College, um, somewhere between my junior and senior year. And um, it was fun. It was it was it was you know interesting. Um, not as interesting as I had thought. Wow. You know, fish fish are really slimy and they smell bad. <laughs> and so, um, and then you know, when your time off, like you go fishing and it's just you know, so so I had enough of the fish, um, and um, had to had to think about something else. I still really loved science. Um, and the other thing that happened in my senior year of high school was um, a very good friend of mine um, lost her mom to ovarian cancer, and. Um, you know, I had seen growing up, I had seen other people um, that I knew um, whose families, you know, their their parent was involved in a serious farming accident, for example. Um, and just the, you know, the struggle to get medical care because most of the time they would have to be hospitalized in Wichita, for example, which is like three-hour drive away. And so you've got one parent hospitalized in Wichita, you've got kids in school, you've got the other parent, you know, kind of going back and forth between the two and, um it just really had an impact on me watching that. Um, and so when I got to college, I was going to major in biochemistry, and um, I went to college in Boston, so I thought I would, you know, work at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and find a cure for cancer. And it was about the middle of my freshman year. It didn't take very long to realize that I'm much better with people than with microscopes and lab benches and um, so things like that. So um, that was what I decided to um go ahead and uh, bite the bullet and become a pre-med. Um, but I, I wasn't, you know, fully pre-med. I majored in history of science. Um, and and uh, where, 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 where did you go to college? I was at, I was at Harvard. Um, ah. And history, history of science is a little department there that um, it's really fun. You can take your science classes. You can take history classes. You can also mix in religion and anthropology and um, it's it's just it's really fascinating and and a little bit academic and unusual, but um, it was a great fit for me. Cool, that's good. So yeah, so then I uh, took a year off between college and med school, got married, um, spent some time with my husband, and then started med school uh, the following year. Yeah. Uh, and then so uh, so so then you came, you came back home for for med school then. Yes. Yeah. Uh, by that and time, how was, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so, so, um, so kind of how, how was that experience for you, uh, you know, medical school? Did, did that kind of, you know, reemphasize your, you know, love for primary care and or did, were you kind of, did you go back and forth during, you know, your medical school experience or can you tell me a little bit about that? I think everybody goes back and forth in their medical school experience a little bit. I mean, you know, whatever you're studying becomes really interesting to you. Um, and, you know, I, uh, had a really good, um, teacher of, um, allergy and immunology, um, really fell in love with endocrinology, um, cardiology and sort of the, the way you can kind of map the heart and the EKG and the, you know, everything kind of corresponds all mathematically. That was really cool. Um, so I went, you know, a little bit and then, um, in my third year when I started doing clinical clerkships, really had a phenomenal experience um, actually on the surgery service um, and thought, oh, gosh, am I in trouble now because I'm not going to be happy unless I become a surgeon. 
Um, <laughs> you know, I wanted a family and everything. And um, <clears throat> but then in the in the spring of that year, I finally um, I got to go out to a smaller community um, called Salina, Kansas, which is about fifty thousand people. It's in the middle of the state. It's a it's a pretty big um, regional health center, referral center for a lot of um, central and western Kansas. And um, so I did most of my, I did half of my third year and all of my fourth year um, rotations there. And working with the family doctors in that setting, you know, I mean, here, you know, they're they're not just seeing, you know, sore throats in an office and going home. They're, you know, they're scrubbing in on their patient's orthopedic surgeries. They're doing endoscopy in their offices. They're, uh, you know, cutting off lumps and bumps and injecting joints and setting bones and, um you know, and and uh, plus there's just the excitement and the variety of, you know, well-child checks and um, obstetric care and all of that. And so, you know, it, it sort of just, that was when it really came home to me that the, the sort of joy and the satisfaction I had got out of being on the surgery service uh, really was present in, in family medicine too. Um, and so that's that's where I came home to. Um, and, uh, and then, so then you went, I mean, you're like schooling all over the country, which is fascinating to me, uh, because, yeah, because I did everything I within, like, within like, <laughs> like, like 30 miles of each other or something like that. Uh, so how did you end up, uh, in Oregon, uh, for your residency and, and, uh, you know, and your master's degree out there? Yeah. I'd never been to the Pacific Northwest before I interviewed for residency out here. Um, and, um, I, so backing up, um, between the first and second year of medical school for the summer program, I was executive director of something called the Community Health Project, um, which placed medical students into community health organizations to do kind of uh, service learning um, projects. And that was where I first um, fell in love with the idea of preventive medicine and public health and the idea that you can treat a population, not just individual patients one by one, but you can actually do something, an intervention that will have an impact on thousands of people at once. Um, and so then when it came time to, well, so so then um, during, I think, my second year, um, I got to go to the, um, it, was a, it was an event um, sponsored by um, the Association of Teachers of Preventive Medicine and um, I think AMSA. It was called the Paul Ambrose uh, Student Health Leadership Symposium. Paul Ambrose is a is a guy who was killed in the uh, 9/11 attack on the Pentagon, um, but has done a lot of really pioneering work in preventive medicine. And so um, this was a this was a this was where I learned about preventive medicine as a specialty of medicine um, that you could get board certified in. And so I started looking at residency programs and found. Uh, a handful around the country of combined family medicine, preventive medicine programs. And so I interviewed for that joint track out here at OHSU and just really loved it, really loved the city. Um, had a lot of The city had a lot of what my husband and I were both looking for in a place to live um, as far as lifestyle and culture, and uh, the program was, was really great. Um, so two board specialties and a master's degree in four years, um, which keeps you busy but it's possible, and so, um, yeah, so it ended up just being a really good fit. 
so I came out here and I did that residency for four years, and then um, I was under a um, loan repayment obligation to the state of Kansas, and so they were, the state was kind enough to um, forgive all of my medical school debt in exchange for four years working in an underserved area of the state of Kansas. So I went back and worked for four years and then was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, sort of recruited to my current position, so... Wow, and and you know you became a mom during that time too. <laughs> two, two babies, two babies during residency. Yep. During residency. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> so how, how 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 did you how did you do all of that? Because I I know I couldn't even do that, and I can't even have babies. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> um, it's because my husband is the greatest person on the planet. Ah. <laughs> Good move. Nice job. Yeah. Yeah. So so my husband Jonathan and I have, have been married. It'll be um gosh, it'll be fourteen years this summer. Um and he's a stay at home dad. Um, so he's an and a, a domestic manager. Um he keeps track of things for me so that I can go off and do these crazy things. Um yeah. and, and takes very good care of me and our daughters. So that's how. Uh and and you know to give him a shout out too. I mean he's kind of known in the, in the geek community. I mean he's he's kind of uh, he's kind of techie and he's he's he gets out there and he's he's doing like kind of you know kind of famous things, isn't he? Yeah, he's the senior editor of geekdad.com, which is one of the blogs on Wired magazine. Um Wired has a few different blogs on special interest things and the parenting and technology blog is called Geek Dad and Jonathan's been one of the editors for a couple of years now. So that's awesome. I mean, <laughs> in addition to all the other stuff that he's doing, so I I, I did want to give him a shout out and a little you know we'll plug to his projects there. And it, I mean that is just fabulous how you guys are all trying to juggle all of that. Um, my guest on the line here is uh, Dr. Robin Liu, uh, um, AFP board member, a uh, uh, new physician board member, uh, and uh, um, why don't we just kind of. Uh, um, switch things a little bit here, and, and I know we didn't specifically dive into it, but your 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 current position now. Um, why don't you tell me about that, about that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's really fun. So I'm I, I'm divided half and half um, with my time at OHSU. Half the time I'm um, clinical faculty in the residency program, and so I see patients, I precept residents, um, I get to do teaching and, and patient care and all of that in. Um, <clears throat> a MCQA level three patient-centered medical home. Thank you very much. Um, at yeah, all right. Medicine. Yeah. And uh, we actually have, we have four clinics in our department and all four of them are now MCQA level three certified. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and then the other half of my time, I work for the Center for Evidence-Based Policy, um, which is a collaborative um effort of, um, we mostly work with public payers, so state Medicaid agencies um, <clears throat> and things like that, um, to help apply clinical evidence to policy. Um, so, for example, um, the, um, 
Medicaid medical director may be getting pressure from industry or from a legislator or something to um, increase their or expand their um, criteria for giving synergies for RSV, for example. And they want to know, well, what's, what does the evidence actually say and how, how well does this work and for whom does it work and who should really get it and what's the cost effectiveness of giving it to these people versus these people, et cetera. And so I answer questions like that. So I go and um, research the medical evidence and um, sort of summarize it in language that policymakers can comprehend and try to – I don't make policy. I don't make policy recommendations, but I just try to inform it. So so to, to, to kind of break it down a little bit more, so um, um, one of the things that you do is, is not only do you have a, a – you know, clinical part with your clinical knowledge and and knowing how some of these treatments work and how they apply to people. You also have to balance that uh, with a little research and also try to explain it to, um, you know, legislators, people that have money, people that fund things. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a little bit of, of, of the, the public health part of your job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is really... Um, I mean, so when I was doing my preventive medicine residency, um, the practicum part of that was I was an assistant medical director at a Medicaid HMO here in Oregon. Um, And so that's, you know, that's completely the same world that I'm living in now. So my residency training was definitely relevant to what I'm doing. Wow. That's 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 very cool. I mean, it's just like uh, um, uh, I know I'm trying to get my head around it, and I know a lot of people listening who you know may not be as into it as we are, uh, trying to get right. their head around that, and and, and you know as you know, being an advocate for patients, which we'll get into. But I mean, that, that's kind of part of your job, and in, in saying you know I, I really think not only that my patient, but this group of people, this group of patients, I think would benefit from this because. Um, our research and our evidence says this, so we need to we need to explain this to the people that fund this that this is a mm-hmm. good idea. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, being in that real translational kind of role, and and that's something I really love to do. Yeah, and it, and it gets kind of murky. It gets kind of, it gets kind of murky on like a lot of different fronts as far as what the research says, specifically breaking down what the research says, and then trying to break down the language and explain the things. Uh, to legislators who are not doctors, who may not mm-hmm. even be in medicine, who may not be right. even interested in medicine, but they do have the purse strings, but they knew how, they know how much stuff costs. And and they're being influenced by other groups who may not have medical evidence as their primary um, criterion for, um, you know, the direction that they're pushing the legislators. So, you know... Um, special interest groups or, or industry groups with something to sell. Um, you know, think people like that who are kind of putting pressure on legislators one way and, and trying to be sort of the, you know, ob- objectivity and, well, here's what the evidence is. And, you know, the trouble comes when the evidence really isn't clear. Um, and, <laughs> you know, your legislator wants an answer. They want to know, should I vote yes or no? Should I push for this or not? Um, or if the and, if the evidence is is conflicting, I mean this you know th- this study says this from last year, or this study says this from this year, or this study mm-hmm. you know, funded by this this group says one thing, and this study funded by another group says something else, and it's very confusing for you know everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's you you hit it right on the head. <laughs> um, 
We, we will talk about NCSC. I, I do want to take a kind of a step before that because something that, that I'm always fascinated in and uh, interested in, uh, and you've talked about this in, in a number of venues before, but um, but as far as, you know, your own personal leadership development and, and how you got uh, first interested in advocacy work and, and being an advocate for patients and things, and can you talk a little bit about how you, you got involved kind of in the organized medicine part? Um, yeah, so a couple of different things. Um, you know, I mean, for, for one thing, just coming, so I wasn't really involved in things like this, um, in residency. I mean, for obvious reasons, I was getting two board specialties and master's degree and having two children, so that kind of filled up yeah. my time. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I, you know, as, uh, unlike yourself and, and a lot of the leaders in the academy, I didn't come up through National Conference of Resident Students and things like that. Um, it really wasn't until I got out into practice. Um, I became involved in the Kansas Academy of Family Physicians really through um, relationships, and particularly Dr. Jen Broll, have to give her a shout-out here, um, called me up personally and told me I was coming to NCSD. Um, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. Um, but she said, no, you need to come to this. And um, my um, relationships with her, with other uh, members of the Kansas Academy, um, Carolyn Gaughan, who's the exec of the Kansas Academy and just a phenomenal leader for family medicine, um, really encouraged me and and brought me up, I guess, um, gave me opportunities um, to succeed and, and to be out there in leadership. Um, another thing that was really kind of fortuitous, um, which I think you alluded to at the beginning of the show, um, was my involvement in Doctors for America, um, which is another advocacy, physician advocacy group. Um, they had a website online. This is when um, healthcare reform was all being debated, and, and it was all very up in the air. And um, they had a website where you could put in your zip code and you could put in a comment about, um, you know, healthcare system and uh and, and it would show up on this map that you could mouse over and see what people around the country were saying. Um, and so I, I dropped something on there, not not really thinking very much of it. And then I got a call a few weeks later um, from a woman named Alice Chen, who's now the executive director of Doctors for America, saying, hey, we have this neat media opportunity. Are you interested? And what it was was a week from that day, um, President Obama had invited us all to the Rose Garden and they wanted a physician representing each of the 50 states, and they had seen my quote um, on the state of Kansas um, on that website and called me up. Wow. So um, it was very uh, serendipitous, um, <laughs> very much right place, right time. Wow. And, you know, wow. sort of willingness to cancel my patients for a day and buy a ticket to D.C. at the last minute and just fly halfway across the country. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah um, let's, slow, let's, let's, let's slow down a little bit. But, I mean, bit. really, kind of, how do you not? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, kind of take me through that, you know, that you know that day or that experience because I'll probably never be anywhere near the White House other than on the on the outside. So, uh, so kind of, you know, I mean, I know you always remember that day. So, uh, what do you remember from that? And because uh, it's just it's just amazing. Yeah. So DSA has offices in um, in a building in DC um, at the uh, I believe it's called the Center for American Progress and. Uh, um, it's a, it's a think tank um, founded, I believe, by John Podesta, and I could be totally, um, 
making this up, but um, he was there. Anyway, and so we met up in the morning, um, and then we walked over. We we were all wearing our white coats, um, and we walked a whole group of us down the streets of D.C. Um, from the offices over to the White House. We got a tour of the White House. Um, the highlight of that tour was getting to meet um, the Obama family's family doctor, who actually is a, a board-certified family physician um, oh. and has his office um, down in the uh, lower level of the White House. And uh, he came out and, and visited with us um, about the healthcare system, about his career, about, you know, what, what we were experiencing and what we were there for that day. Um, and that was just that was just so cool. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then uh, we we were guided out um, into the Rose Garden. Um, what I remember the most about that is the media. Um, you know, you, you see the Rose Garden, you see the kind of green, you know, and there's the there's the the podium in front of the the West Wing there, and and um, but what, what you don't see is is just I mean packed shoulder to shoulder to shoulder camera crews and reporters um, just lining three sides, or I guess two sides of the Rose Garden. Um, So we had to kind of wiggle through there. Um, Just, again, sort of uh, right time, right place, I wound up in the front row. Um, Just, just, you know, feet from President Obama when he came out to speak. Um, there was a group of wow. physicians who were actually invited into the Oval Office to visit with the president before his speech. I was not among them, um, but our academy <laughs> leaders, uh, Jim King, Lori Heim, and Ted Upperly, who were at that time board chair president and president-elect of the academy, um, yes. were in the Oval Office with the president. When they came out, they actually sat directly behind me, so that was a bit of a kick. Um <laughs> <laughs> got the academy president sitting behind me at the Rose Garden. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and um yeah, and then and then he uh, the president came out and he spoke for about 8 minutes um and got to uh shake a few of our hands. Um I did get to shake the president's hand and uh tell him thank you. Um and then um, that was that, and then we turned around and started doing media interviews. And so that was really that was really the point of the day was to get doctors in front of the cameras giving their message about um, the brokenness of the healthcare system and the real problems that patients are facing. That real you know the real reasons why um, why we need change um, because politicians can talk all day, but um, nobody's really going to believe them. You know, doctors are. Um, in a different situation as far as the public trust. And so um, I did interviews with Kansas Public Radio, um, a Fox News radio affiliate in Kansas City, and I can't remember. I did a few other interviews <laughs> um, just by phone. Well, yeah. Um, that yeah, day. I mean, so, I was uh... – I, I was, I mean, I was fascinated by. It. I think, it's, I think it's how I met you two years ago, and you were you were presenting on this topic, I believe. Maybe not this, but maybe something else that you were doing in media that was really fascinating to me, um, because obviously I'm fascinated with media. Um, so, I mean, did, did did you have like you know formal media training, or did you get you know? I mean, how did you know how to do all of that stuff? So, I mean, so Doctors for America provided some training um, the day before this event. We had gotten together and, and, you know, had had some kind of here's how to use your talking points, here's how to 
um, you know, not get distracted by, you know, questions, but to really bring it back to the system is broken, patients need change, um, and and to just kind of hammer that point home. Um, and I'd had a little bit um, of media training before the Health Promotion Student Leadership Symposium that I mentioned before during med school had included a, a, sec- a segment on media training. And so I'd had some of this before, um, but, you know, not a lot. Right, right. And it's kind of yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I, you know, I, I do, you know, really, you know, small market stuff here at our local, you know, TV station, which I'm very, you know, appreciative of. Uh, but, you know, it's not like, you know, talking to reporters on the White House lawn. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, uh, it's just, uh, I can't even imagine that happening. Uh, that's just a, 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 an enormous opportunity. Um, and I know, you know, I would probably mess up. And it's just like, you know, all these people who are, you know, obviously – you know, professional reporters, you know, and, and you know, and, and it's their job to, you know, if they want to try to throw somebody off. And um, it's just uh, and just like you said, just the, just the volume and the the amount of people asking questions, taking pictures. I mean, it would just it mm-hmm. seems like it's overwhelming. It was a little overwhelming, but it was also really fun. And, and you know, it, it was it was interesting. I, I had my first experience with that kind of idea of of the, you know, the reporter, you know, trying to get the story, right? Trying to get a good a good sound bite, a good story. And when I was on the phone with Kansas Public Radio, I mean, come on, this is public radio, right? They're gonna be friendly to a doctor talking about healthcare reform. And <laughs> uh, and the guy was pretty antagonistic. He was, you know wow. and I was also it didn't help that I was also um running to get my flight at the airport while I'm on the phone. Like, I actually physically had to set my phone down on the conveyor belt, run it through the x-ray, pick it back up, and keep talking while I was wow. on the interview with this guy. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, and he's, he's asking, you know, kind of mean questions a little bit. Not mean, but, you know. Um, and and so, but then when I heard the bit, um, when I heard the segment that they, that they played, um, you know, it was a very positive segment, and I sounded really passionate. And, you know, it yeah. hit me there that the reporter was just trying to get under my skin so that I would give him a really good, you know, kind of passionate, positive soundbite. Um, so that was that was pretty interesting. Wow. I mean, it's something I'm going to talk about in my, in my presentation on Wednesday is that, you know, I mean, you know, family physicians, you know, they, they need uh, media training, um, and I love, you know, I really enjoy, you know, the, the, the professional, you know, media people that come into to the ALF meeting, to the MCSC meeting. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I think that family docs need to teach other family docs how to do media. I mean, you know, when you go to educational meetings, you know, you don't have a cardiologist talking about hypotension. You know, you have family docs you know, uh, talking mm-hmm. to other family docs about, you know, clinical issues. And, you know, I, I would, I really want, um, you know, that, that, you know, I mean, cause all family docs do, you know, media all the time. We just don't know. We don't ask about it. Even if it's just a, a newspaper interview or something on the radio in their small little market, um, or mm-hmm. TV, um, you know, what, who better to teach, you know, family docs had to do media than other family docs. And especially that, that, that awesome, very funny story of you putting your cell phone down on the conveyor belt and then picking it up and still, you know, getting yelled at by this guy. That is just a fascinating <laughs> story, I think, would resonate with family docs. 
Yeah, it's you know that that day was full of awesome stories. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I'm sorry. So 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 I kind of derailed you because I wanted to hear about the 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 uh, the the, uh, the White House, uh, you know, uh, Rose Garden thing. Um, so, uh, so 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 you you they so you got interested um, in academy work and you went to NCSC and got excited and then, and then you started doing a little bit more with the Kansas chapter at that point. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> you know the, the Kansas chapter is really great about providing leadership opportunities for um, people who are interested, you know. So um, <clears throat> basically, if you if you express some desire to be involved in the academy to do some leadership, they will find work for you, um, and they will find a place to put you, basically. Um, and so really, it was just a matter of saying, hey, I'm here, I, I'm interested. Um, and really, I think I'd been in practice for... It, a year, you know, I spent my first year in practice just figuring out where the bathrooms were. And then after I'd been in practice for about a year, I, I said to my partners, you know, I really want to get more involved in the academy, and they were okay with that. And so um, I just started, you know, kind of showing up to stuff and just trying to get to know people and, you know, mentioning my interest, and that was all it took, really. Um, they sort of embraced me and... Um, really helped me along and, and gave me some work to do and helped me do it well and so it was a it was a really great experience a really great place to get a, a start in leadership and that's actually um, on the line with things. this oh go ahead. yeah keep going yeah finish, finish your talk I was just going to say I'm actually helping out with the presentation on Friday at the Alf meeting um, on um, retaining new physicians in leadership um, in your chapter and so that's one of the things I'll be talking about. That's a great uh, segue. You know where I was going. On the line with us, we have uh, Dr. Robin Liu, uh, new physician board member and all all around awesome person. Uh, let's uh, kind of shift here a little bit specifically to NCSC. Um, and um, um, why don't we? Uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of you know. Um, uh, maybe describe the meeting, maybe through the eyes of a person who's coming for the first time. Um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe somebody who has had a little bit of adequacy work before, but not that much. Um, you know, if you were going to talk to somebody, and I, and I presume that you have, uh, you know, when you talk to people who are coming to this to this advocacy meeting, this NCSC meeting for the first time, what do you tell them? Um, bring your resume. <laughs> Because yeah, we'll you never that. know when you might <laughs> run for something. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's um, it, it's a little it, it's a little bit like the proverbial fire hose. There's a lot to absorb, um, particularly if, like me, this is your first exposure to the National Academy, really. Um, other than you know, as a provider of CME, this is my first kind of AAFP event. Um, and so I went for the first time, um, let's see, this will be my fourth NCSC, so three years ago, um, as the women's delegate from Kansas. And um, so you um, you kind of have home, smaller group in your little caucus, um, and women, women's group at NCSC is just, it's just great. I think all of them are, but, but I have, you know, a special place in my heart for the, for the women who come to NCSC. Of course. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just such a great group. And, um, everybody's really, um, creative, really energized, really engaged, um, thinking really hard about what are the problems 
that I encounter? What are the things that my academy can help with? And what do I want to, what are the messages that I want to send to the academy leadership about, you know, what's important to me? Um, you know, at the same time, you're you're meeting people from everywhere, from, you know, these different constituencies um, and, you know, becoming just kind of instant good friends um, with with different people and uh, getting to interact really kind of one-on-one a lot of times with some of the board members who show up there. Um, and so it's it's exciting. It can be um, a little overwhelming. Um, I kind of maybe uh, got jumped in a little too deep in my first meeting, but it all worked out in the end. Um, <clears throat> and uh, like I said, bring your CV. Um, there are opportunities to... Um, campaign for different positions. You can run to be um, a leader in your caucus group, um, what they call a co-convener, because there's two of you um, who convene that caucus the following year. Um, And um, you can run for um, alternate delegate to the Congress as a a special constituency representative um, to the larger AAFD Congress. You can run for... um, this is where a new physician board member is elected. Um, the, the young physician representative to the AMA is elected at this meeting, um, and so there just there's lots of opportunities to to campaign and, and you know possibly get elected to something. And so um, you might just catch the fire um, while you're there. So don't forget to bring your CV. Um, and uh, you know, I mean. Yeah, I've known you just a little bit, and I, you know, probably presume that you ran your first year. You were there, got swept up in the whole thing, and uh, um, you know, you have, you have advice for people, or or kind of how how did that story go there? <laughs> you may have heard this story. Um, I don't know. Maybe it only lives because I tell it. But it's good to it's good to be humble. Um, well, now the uh, the entire internet will hear it and it will live in perpetuity. So because this show will go on forever. All my so, Facebook friends ahead. are listening. No, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, my my big break in AAFT leadership came because I overslept. Um, and and that's a true story. Um, so so the first year I, I came as the women's delegate from Kansas, I ran for women's co-convener, and the women's caucus was kind enough to um, put their faith in me and and elect me as <clears throat> as their co-convener for the following year. Um, and then when you are elected co-convener, you have the opportunity to run for alternate delegate to the Congress. Um, and then the way it works is then you're alternate delegate that year, and then you're a full voting delegate at the Congress the following year. Um, and so, um, yeah, so we had the, uh, I think we had the caucus elections on Friday and, um, you know, the first business session. And it was all just very exciting, good good debate, good discussion, good conversations. Um, you know, yay, I was elected by the Yeah, if I can cut in, I mean, it's just just to let people know who who may not be familiar. I mean, I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, this is a big deal, you know, to come and you run and you win one election, and then there's a possibility to run again, uh, right. to go to a huge meeting. This is this is a big deal, especially for a person who's never been there before. Um, right. And people just get swept up in the whole thing, and and uh, you know, it's it's great that that you know that you won your first one, and then you know. <laughs> And then yeah, what happened so the then, next day? So then, you know, I, I, it was my first meeting. I didn't know I was running for anything. Um, had to have my husband email me my CV from our home computer because I hadn't brought it. 
Um, and then, yeah, and then to be elected at the Women's Caucus and then have, okay, now next, you know, Saturday morning you're going to run for um, special constituencies alternate delegate to the Congress, you know, the big meeting, the governing body of family medicine, um, and you get to be a part of that, you know, if you if you get elected. And so I had to write a second speech, and, you know, it was just, it was just very exciting. And I couldn't sleep that night, um, Friday night. I just had a really hard time falling asleep. It was just so exciting, and I had so much energy and adrenaline going. Um, and so I finally fell asleep um, and woke up to my cell phone on the nightstand going, it was on silent, and it was vibrating. Um, and uh. I picked it up because um, I had set my alarm, um, you know, to wake me up for the morning session. I had set the alarm on my cell phone. Um, uh. than, and, and my cell phone was, was of course, silenced um, because of the meetings. <laughs> and so, exactly. Um, the, the vibrating was doing was, was all of the uh, people from the Kansas chapter and people from the Women's Caucus saying, where are you? It's time for your speech. You need to get down here right now. Are you okay? Did something bad happen to you? <laughs> <laughs> so at, at that point, you did what? At that point, I got dressed <laughs> and um, ran, didn't walk, ran uh, down across the mezzanine of the Grand Hyatt Hotel and um, up the stairs and into the ballroom where they were, they had just completed casting ballots for the alternate delegate position. Wow. So I missed it. Completely missed my opportunity. Um, I was abashed. I was I was humiliated. I was I was really, um, you know, my mind was spinning wildly. What kind of story can I tell these people that you know will not be embarrassing? And my my OB patient back home went suddenly preeclampsic, and I was on the phone with my partner this whole time, or something like that. You know what? Can, um, right, right. But from my appearance, I think it was probably pretty obvious what had happened. Um, <laughs> and so then I thought, well, you know, that's that. Um, six people got elected to be alternate delegates to the Congress, and I knew they would do a great job. And, and so, you know, so that was that. And so I sat down. And um, the convener of that year of NCSC was Angelo Katsalis from uh, Michigan. And he said, okay, we are now going to hold a special election because one of the people who had been alternate delegate the previous year had a personal issue and was not going to be able to fulfill their role as delegate in the Congress the following year. And so they were going to hold a special election of what the Academy had decided to do. Um, Dr. Katsalas and the other um, steering committee for NCSC had decided was that the people who were not elected to the alternate delegate position would have the opportunity to run for this, um, fill this delegate position. So... um, so he was like, is Robin Lou here yet? And right. I kind of stood up. And he was like, okay, well, we'll hear remarks from Robin Lou and from, you know, I, the, I, I, I apologize, I do not know who the other person was. Um, but right. there was one other person who, because of eight um, co-conveners, six get elected. And so there was me and one other person. Um, and... Um, that person went first. He kind of said, well, I just gave you my speech, so, you know, 
and uh, I stood up and I had my whole speech ready. Um, I had tons of adrenaline coming through my fingers. <laughs> um, and I gave my speech, um, and they passed out the ballots, and they said, okay, vote for, you know, one of these two. Um, and then, you know, they kind of went on with the meeting for a little while, and they came back and they said, okay, in the special election for the um, – uh, to fill the delicate seats, um, there's going to be a runoff. Runoff. And I said, how could there be a runoff? A runoff. <laughs> it's a runoff with two people. <laughs> wow. What, what were you I don't know. Either it was an exact tie or enough people didn't mark their ballots correctly. I don't know. Anyway, um, at the end of it, I came out as a delegate to the Congress. Um which is pretty, you know, which is, like you said, it's, this is a big deal. Um, this is my first National Academy meeting, and all of a sudden I'm a voting member of the Congress of Delegates. Um, and and well, I, was, was, I was humbled. <laughs> I, I, I was, and I felt uh, very, very, very lucky. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that story will live on forever, I think. Uh. <laughs> So, yeah, so then that fall I went to the Congress and I got to serve as delegate with, um, you know, some just just people that are still really good friends. Jay Lee, who you're going to have on tomorrow night, um, who's convener of the NCSC this year, was a delegate with me there. Uh, Jane Williams-Vale from Massachusetts, Victoria Smith from Louisiana, Mark McCloney, um, and uh, Falcon Narvell. And they're just just great people and really diverse group. Um, And uh, we had a great time. Um, and so then, um, yeah, that was, so did the, uh, came, yeah, did, go ahead. Did, did the, uh, so did the NCSC, you know, kind of structure and experience there, you know, uh, how much of that was a, a help when you went to the big meeting? It was crucial, um, because the structure of the NCSC, as far as, um, you know, you, you craft these resolutions and then you bring them to, um, the reference committee and you testify in front of the reference committee and the reference committee makes the recommendation and then that's brought before the whole body and um, you have the opportunity for for debate and a vote. Um, It's exactly the same type of structure as the Congress of Delegates. And, you know, I mean, I think that's done on purpose Um, just to kind of get you used to um, the idea of how academy policy is made and, um, you know, and, and what the process is. Um, so, yeah, it was absolutely key to me not being completely lost when I got to um, the Congress. Um, I guess on the line here is Dr. Robin Liu uh, uh, with a fascinating story. Uh, and we didn't, even, we, we didn't get to the really good stuff yet. Uh, the AFP uh, a New Position Board member. Uh, and uh, let's let's uh, let's talk about uh, you know that your your not only your board experience but kind of your you know your, your decision to run for the board because I know that people are out there who are thinking about it and may want to do it and may not want to do it. Kind of share with me a little bit you know your, your thought process of you know what your decision you know whether to run the run for the board or not run for the board. Can you tell me a little bit about that starting out? So I think the. Um you know the the impetus for it um i I was encouraged i guess um after my year as a delegate um 
by another NCSC attender um, who kind of gave me a nudge and said, hey, you should run for the board. And that was Mark Price and from New York, and he was the first one to kind of put the bug in my ear. Um, and um, so I thought, oh, well, I don't know, should I? Um, and so I've talked to a lot of different people about it. Um, I talked to, you know, Jen Brohl, who really is a mentor of mine, um, to uh, Jason Dees, who had been on the board um, as the new physician member, um, just about, you know, what is this like? And, you know, can you do this and still have a practice and a life um, outside of the AAFP? And, you know, what does it require from you and what do you get out of it? And um, just had a lot of conversations Um and decided that, uh, you know, with, again, with the blessing of my partners um, in practice, that um, I would go ahead and run. Um, I did run twice, so the first time was unsuccessful. Um, And then um, decided to give it another shot. Um, You know, I was really encouraged by a lot of friends um, who said, hey, you would, you would, you would like this. Um, And, um, I think through my involvement at the Congress that first year when I was a delegate, um, I got to meet the folks who um, were eventually on the board. So um, Reed Blackwelder, Laura Knoebel, um, and Conrad Flick, who had been running for the board the year that I was at the Congress and were now on the board, um, they also um, really encouraged me to run again. Um, and tied up really, believe it or not. So um, I just had a lot of nudges um, from people in different corners um, saying, hey, we really think that, that this would be good, that, that you should do this, that it would be good for you. Um, and so, you know, I was a little nervous the second time just knowing that um, I would probably be um, changing practices, changing states, changing chapters, changing everything um, shortly after the election. Um and and not sure how um, whatever new employer I wound up with, which I hadn't decided yet, um, was going to handle that. Um, but decided to go for it anyway. And uh, it's just been it's it's been a fantastic year. It's been a great experience. for the first, you know, your first go around because I talked to a lot of people, especially that go to NCSC or at any level, um, you know, where they lose the election, they get very discouraged, they get very down on themselves. Sometimes, you know, they're they're like, you know, maybe the academy's not for me and maybe this leadership's not for me and, and they go away or, you know, they, they kind of give up. I mean, it's just, um, it, it shows a lot of character that, that you, you know, wanted to go through that whole process again. And it is a tough process for people who don't know you know, it's, I mean, you put together, it's a five minute speech, which is a lot longer than a two minute speech. Five minutes is like, you know, like forever. And then there's it's this like question forever, and answer yeah. session. Uh, and it is this question and answer session. And it's very, very difficult questions. And you didn't do it once, you did it twice. Um, you, know, are, you know, especially for people who, you know, you know, may have, you know, not been successful in different elections and things. Is there things that you learned about yourself or is there, you know, processes or, or something that you did differently that you went, you know, that you utilized and drew from for the second time you ran? Um, I think, you know, you just really, you you have to find your own strengths and you have to find your own passions and, and just kind of, you know, stand on that. Um I think, um, you know, as far as what I changed or or did differently or grew from the first time to the second time, um, you know, I had more experience um, 
in the committees in the Kansas Academy. Um, you know, I I just was a little bit more mature. Um, I had been on a commission at that point. Um, you know, after you run, and, and here's the other thing people may not realize is that even if you don't win an election, um, just your willingness to stand up in front of the conference and give a speech and put yourself out there as a leader um, gets you noticed and gives you opportunities that you may not see coming. Um, And so after my first unsuccessful run for the board, I was actually, um, I ended up being appointed to the Commission on Health of the Public and Science, um, which is one of the um, workhorse bodies of the academy, um, the commission. And so I had had that experience. And that's kind of your dream committee. I mean, it's, you know, from all your training in in the past. It's what I do. Yeah, it's what I do day in and day out. So, yeah, it's it's evaluating clinical practice guidelines and do they line up with the evidence and um you know, it's it's evaluating um, you know, recommendations from, from different bodies and is the academy going to sign on to this one or, you know, what's the academy going to say about PSA and things like that. Um and so that's the group that gets to make those decisions. So yeah, that was it was a great committee um commission. Um and so, yes, I just, you know, the second time I think um, I was able to talk about really my involvement in the academy and what my place is and how I found myself as a leader in the academy and not just kind of the generic family medicine is great kind of speech. So, um, you know, I think that's probably the biggest difference. Um, and, you know, for, for people who, who run and um, get discouraged because they didn't win the first time, I mean, I know. I just think if if you're if you're interested and and you're excited by family medicine, you know, this is this is where it's at, and and you just stay involved. And there are opportunities everywhere. And like I said, just putting yourself out there, um, even if you don't win the election that you're running for, uh, there may be other opportunities that you that you didn't expect to come your way. Well, um, well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, let's. Um, uh, I want to get to the good stuff here, and I know it's taking an hour for me to get to the good stuff. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> what's the so, good so, stuff? So you, Nothing I've said so you, far has been good stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 I want to get to your to your speech uh, in Orlando last year, uh, and you're 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 on the podium there, and you're 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 accepting congratulations from the board, and you issue this challenge that is going to you know that you're aiming right at NCSC 2012, um, and tell mm-hmm. people what that is. So the challenge, so I was echoing a challenge. Um, the first person to make the challenge was Viviana Martinez Bianchi, um, who was chair of membership and member services commission. Um, and she issued the challenge actually at the ALF meeting the year before. Um, so I was just echoing her challenge, first of all. I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, but what I said was, I so the Congress of Delegates, for, for those who don't know, is, is you know two delegates and two alternate delegates from every chapter in the academy. Um, and I had a bully pulpit where they all had to hear what I had to say. And so I told them that every single chapter who was represented there should send a new physician to the NCSC. Um, you know, and, and right after that happened, I mean, you know, a lot of people were talking about it. I mean, you know, what, what kind of, uh, you know, um, feedback did you get, you know, right after that happened? I mean, I know that it was, uh, I didn't, I guess I forgot it was a challenge that was previously put out there. But, um, you know, I mean, after I heard that and after people were talking about it, I mean, it's you're very exciting, very bold. Um, what kind of feedback did you receive right after, right after that speech there? Um, 
I, I had a really encouraging piece of feedback um, from uh, a woman who uh, I actually ran into in the restroom after the speech, um, who was a, a chapter president and from a chapter that had not sent anybody to NCSC before. And she said, um, I'm really taking this seriously, and I really want to get um, new physicians involved. Um, and so we're going to try to do this next year. Um, and that by itself made the whole thing worth it. Oh, that's inspiring. That's inspiring. And we'll, yeah, we'll kind of was, see what happens. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens uh, this week. I mean, I know you've kind of touched on it already, um, but I'm always fascinated to uh, see what people's board experience has been. Uh, um, how would you describe how your board experience has been uh, to this point? It's it's been just I think worldview expanding is how I would how I would describe it. Um, you know, there's so much that the Academy does. It is such a big and highly functioning organization. Um, You know, we have our advocacy arm, we have our public relations arm, we have our our, uh, CME arm, you know, the um, member services arm. I mean, there's just so much that the Academy does um, that you know, is invisible to most of us most of the time unless we're really paying attention. Um, and even then, like, you don't really understand everything that goes into um, to what the Academy does. Um, and so it's just been, you know, a lot of um, what I've really enjoyed learning this year is just, you know, what kind of an organization this is and, you know, exactly how how highly it functions, and what is the place of um, family medicine, you know, sort of in the house of medicine, um, and and learning how our relationships with other medical um, specialty groups and things like that. Um, and so it's it's just been, yeah, it's, it's sort of completely blown open, you know, what you kind of think you understand what the AAFP is, but um, to really see you know, the inner workings of, of the Academy is just really impressive. So it sounds like, I mean, that, you know, you're, what you're going to be taking from this, this experience, and I know this experience isn't completed yet, but, but kind of the things that you're going to be taking from this experience is, is kind of, um, it's, I guess, very complicated and seeing all of the spinning things happening, working things all at the same time. And, um, and, and it was probably a little bit early to, to tell, but I mean, the, the knowledge that you gain from this, um, um, how are you going to be utilizing that in the future? You know, I think um, in the future, you know, I I really want to invest some time here in Oregon. Um, you know, I moved into the Oregon chapter after I had been elected to the AAFP board um, and sort of had my plate full, so um, I haven't really had a lot of time to get um, seriously involved here in Oregon, and so um, I think that's that's my next project. Um, and you know, I hope to bring to that um, just a a perspective and you know, and relationships that I have with people at the AAFP um, that that you know hopefully can be beneficial. Um, you know, sort of networking um, value to people here. Um, and you know, and I, I really hope to um to kind of um you know to maintain those relationships um 
with people around the country to continue coming to NCSC, to continue encouraging um, new leaders to to jump in and get their feet wet and and participate and and become really active because this really is just I mean this is super important stuff that we're doing. You know, family medicine is the answer to America's healthcare crisis, and we are the organized voice of family medicine. And if we don't have, you know, our young members, our women members, our GLBT members, our minority members, if we don't have all of those people engaged, then we're not speaking with as full and rich a voice as we could be. And so um, I think that's, you know, that's where I really want to focus. Um, on the line with us, we have uh, Dr. Robin Liu, the AFP New Physician Board Member, um, and um, follow her on Twitter. Um, Many moments here. Um, I, I wanted to bring up uh, something that we talked about before. Before we went on the air, here is uh, um, uh, on our last show, show uh, episode 252. Um, we talked about kind of uh, marketing uh, family medicine, and mm-hmm. uh, you said you had you had some thoughts on that. Uh, what are your your thoughts on on how we market our specialty? Well, I don't want to say too much because, you know, you, you mentioned the uh, question and answer forum for the uh, new physician board candidates, and uh, that might be a question that I ask them, so I don't want to give away too many answers. But <laughs> ah, well, we, no, we, uh, we, we can hold off on that. Uh, in, in addition to what kind of tree would they want to be um, if they were a tree? <laughs> Um, what is their favorite uh, barbecue sauce uh, in Kansas City? All other answers are wrong. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 like, I like thinking of the uh, the off the wall questions that get uh, board uh, board candidates kind of uh, crazy because uh, uh, that, that that that's what they lose sleep at night over. I know you kind of lose, probably lost sleep of that because you will be the moderator for that uh, session yeah. and uh, it'll be so much more fun being on the other side of the microphone, won't it? Yes, it'll, yes, much more fun this way. This will, this will actually, this will be my first NCSC that I'm not a candidate for something, so I am really looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're really going to be relaxed. You're just going to be like, wow, I don't have to like write a speech or, you know, I can just hang out and, you know, do whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, but you you asked about um about marketing family medicine and that's a really a really crucial conversation because um you know, I I was listening to to your podcast with with Gary Tolbert and and just the fact that you know, a lot of the public does not know what we do. And, you know, I would even take it a step further and say a lot of the patients who come to our practice a family medicine clinic don't know what we do. Um, you know, my partners and I have all had people, you know, pregnant women that we're taking care of who have said, well, who do you recommend for a pediatrician? And we have to say, me. <laughs> I will take care of your baby. I will take care of your family. Um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly um, reminding my patient that, you know, I, you know, hey, if anyone in your family needs a doctor, like, you can bring them to me. I see kids. I see elderly folks. I see everybody. Um, you know, people, you know, they they just, they, they think that, 
Um, if you have a heart problem, you need a cardiologist. And if you have a kidney problem, you need a nephrologist. And if you have diabetes, you need an endocrinologist. And, um, you know, they, they just, and if, and if you have a mole, you need to go see a dermatologist to get it cut off. Like, they just don't think of one doctor who's who's able to, to meet all of those needs. Um, and and that's a real shame, um, and it's a real a real failing. And I'm not sure on whose part, but um, you know, it just it's it's something that needs to be addressed. And um, the I, I can tell you, the board of directors is extremely sensitive to to the fact that this is a problem, um, and it has been a topic of discussion again and again. Um, and there has been um, you know, there have been attempts over the years to to create um, sort of ad campaigns and public outreach and things like that. Um, and, and so far, nothing has stuck. Nothing has really been effective. Nothing has really sort of raised the profile of the specialty. Um, you know, I think that we're getting a lot of press from, um, you know, President Obama. Um, he talks about family physicians and primary care physicians, um, industry, you know, the, the, the people who buy the healthcare insurance that's costing them so much, big companies like IBM um, are really talking about investing in primary care. They aren't necessarily saying family medicine. Um, and so I think we still have a lot of work to do um, as far as promotion of our specialty. And, hey, I am totally ready to hear ideas that people have. Um, and I expect that to be, I, I think it always is a conversation at the NCSC. Um, so I'm excited to hear what kind of ideas people bring to that meeting. Well, as, as I said on the previous show, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, we have let this happen to ourselves by not speaking up. And, and uh, you know, I, I think social media is a, is a huge opportunity for us to, to tell our story because we've let other people tell our story. Um, mm-hmm. and, but the other thing that, that I have not been able to try to solve is that the, the diversity in family medicine, where you can pretty much do anything that you would like, I think is a strength and is a weakness. Because if you try to market something and you leave something out, like maternity care or geriatrics or something, um, mm-hmm. that's going to offend. That's going to offend somebody, and it, it, it's kind of that's a huge roadblock in defining what a family. Uh, what a family physician is because you see one family physician, you see one family physician. So I see the marketing challenges with that, you know, because with a cardiologist, you know what they do. Um, you know, sure. GI, you know what they do. And and I haven't been able to put my head around that as far as how do we deal with the diversity um, in family medicine, um, you know, fr- from a negative standpoint. We all know how to deal with it from a positive standpoint, but we just haven't mm-hmm. been able to figure out how to deal with it and say, you know, we are these things, but we can be of these other things too. And, and it's hard to soundbite that. It's hard to make it a poster. It's hard to make it a simple message for the American public to understand. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing too, as we're, as we're dealing with payers, you know, pretty much every major payer in the U S wants to pilot the patient centered medical home. Um, they all want to have a pilot project where they, you know, have some sort of blended payment model or shared savings or, um, you know, pay per member per month, um, you know, paying for non-visit type of care. Like, everybody wants to do that now. Um, 
But when the payers start paying for it, you know, a lot of other people start showing up. And the cardiologist says, well, I manage hypertension, therefore I can be a patient-centered medical home. Um, And, um, you know, how do you, what do you say to the payers to say, look, this is what defines family medicine and this is how we are different from, you know, there's, there's a distinction to be made between primary care services and primary care, um, a primary care practice, which can, which is a patient's home, which is that point of first contact, versus somebody who provides a primary care service, like doing a pap smear or um, adjusting an antihypertensive. Um, and what the what the board has sort of um, landed on as a soundbite, and tell me what you think of this, is the idea of comprehensiveness and continuity. Those are the things that are necessary and essential to a primary care practice. And so if you have comprehensiveness and continuity with your patients, um, and comprehensiveness, okay, again, you can get into, well, does that include maternity care or not? Um, you know, but, but it's really, it's caring for the whole person um, and, you know, and and being able to to address um, all of their health care needs. And, yeah, that may include a referral here and there, but but really being a comprehensive resource for that person um, and, and continuity, having that ongoing physician-patient relationship. Um, those are the things that when we're talking to payers, we're saying, look, this is primary care. It's comprehensive and it's continuous. Um, no, I like that. I like that. I mean, that 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 kind of harkens back, I think, uh, to the '90s, I believe, and it says, you know, the, I think the, the our our little catchphrase was, you know, we're we're the specialty that uh, specializes in you or something like that. I remember that catch, you know, that slogan. Yeah, that you know, was back that was few, one of the ad ago. campaigns that didn't really go very far. But yeah, we specialize in you. Um, you know, that we are the doctor that is a specialist in in you, in your family, in your um, your health. Um, so yeah, so so that's you know that that's kind of where we're working from is is it's the it's the comprehensiveness of of the whole person care and the continuous um, physician patient relationship. Um, no, I mean I like it. I mean I, I think uh, I mean it's a start or, or a start or a restart um, mm-hmm. to try to. Yeah, this to, is not a new conversation this. by any means. This is. <laughs> right, right, but 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 I think with a patient center medical home, I, I think that does give kind of a a, a new slash old identity um, to to try to really um, you know, get people behind not only from the um, physician side but from the legislator and payer side, uh, and I think that's where you may get the people to come together. Um, you know, because obviously you know when it's tied to payment, then that will get people together at some point. Um, so I think that that combining that with you know comprehensiveness and completeness and patient-centered medical home, you know, I, I think that's going to be the path that that uh, you know, that's going to be next to try. And I, I think it's you know I I have you know I I um, I uh, you know I I really think it's going to you know really work this time more than before. I'm really encouraged by it. Um, but I understand, you know, well, I don't understand, but I can guess from the board standpoint, it's been very frustrating to, to try to put something together to, to make it, you know, simpler and, and easier and a soundbite type of thing to to uh, to give the legislators and to give the American public. Yeah, well, and, and, and also, you know, the fact that as, 
as family physicians, and I'm sure you can understand this in, in being in private practice, that you already work so hard and you already have so much on your plate. And then, um, you know, along comes this payer that says, I want you to transform your practice into a patient-centered medical home, and if you can do it and you can show me some value, then I'll pay you for it. Um, you know, and, and here we are at the sort of national level, you know, pushing trying to push legislators and, and payers to say, look, you need to invest in primary care, you need to invest in patient-centered medical homes, but at the same time, we've had to really focus on, you know, are our members ready for that? You know, if if the, if the legislators buy the patient-centered medical home, do we have something to sell them? You know, where are our members and how can we be sensitive to their needs and, and you know, where they stand at the same time as we're trying to... Um, you know, we're trying to sell this new model. Um, so, yeah, it's been a really delicate balance. It's It's been a dance. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, and, and I try to talk to my colleagues about it here at the grassroots, too, and uh, you're like, it's, you know, it's a 2012 version. Uh, what they tell me is this is a 2012 version of, you know, what they did in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. Um, right. That never really stuck. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're discouraged as well. Um, and... You know, yeah, it's it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very difficult. Um, but I do know, just like you said, you know, a few minutes ago, is that even with my own patients, or even you know, even with the people in this small town that I'm in, you know, don't know what I do. You know, I, I you know, yes, I can I can see your child. Yes, I can I I do. You know, our practice still goes to the nursing home. Our practice still goes to the hospital, um, and, and we can take care of you that way. And, and because you know, each each you know little market is different. Um, but that, that's kind of what we do, and, and I try to explain that to, to people. And just like you said, I mean, it's it, even you know explaining it to the people in your own community can be very difficult. And trying to expand that out to the whole nation uh, is just mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> so good luck to whoever whoever becomes the next board member. <laughs> wow, you get to take what a this over. What a doubter to, to end on, man. <laughs> no, not at all. No, and I'm, I'm like you. I'm really hopeful. Um, you know, I'm I'm really hopeful about the future of medicine. Um, I remember as a medical student having some sendings who were just very doom and gloom, and, you know, you're going to have to get used to making less than a teacher and that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, and uh, well, something I'm uh, know, something I'm, I'm I'm very encouraged by, you know, is this meeting that, that that's coming up, and you know, there's going to be all these passionate people out there, all these talented people out there, all these people coming from you know all corners of the nation uh, that are coming in one place for you know three days, and that is that is you know a place that I always get you know re-energized. Um, it's 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 seeing you know longtime friends, making new friends, making friends for life. Um, that is something that I'm really going to be looking forward to. And, and again, plugging my talk on Wednesday night, um, I think the social media angle here um, is very exciting because I think I think social media is something that that I've been waiting for for a long time because it will I think it will continue that momentum. It will continue that excitement when people get home when they get discouraged. They're like, hey, I could just go you know, on social media and connect with the person that I met at the NCSC meeting and we can dialogue, we can try to brainstorm, we can try to come up with a solution. If, if for anything else, you know, we can encourage each other. We can continue to encourage each other, you know, as we deal with this broken healthcare system. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm still excited about this meeting. I'm, it's, it's, I'm really excited to, to get to talk to you again and meet and get you in, in person and, and to pick your brain a little bit as well. And um, so, you know, even though, you know, we had this, you know, 
tough and crucial conversation for the past, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. You know, it's just, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great launching point, you know, for NCSC and how we can, you know, work together to try to at least, you know, solve some of the problems or, or each, at least come up with a plan, you know, to try to address all this frustration that we're going through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So, uh, Wow. I mean, and, and as I've told other people to come to this show, I mean, you know, we could probably talk for another uh, two hours, but I don't want to, you know, get people bored uh, <laughs> who haven't already tuned out. <laughs> Me neither. And I do have to put my kids to bed, so. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for coming on, Rob Lou. Do, do, do you have any closing thoughts before I, I close up the show here this evening? I just, I think I said it already, but I just, you know, I think the NCSC is the best meeting um, that the AAFP puts on all year. Um, I don't know what the latest tally is for how many new physician delegates we have coming. Um, I don't think it's 55, which is the total number we could have. So um, if anybody out there is interested and your state's not sending a delegate to the NCSC, um, you should look into it. There's still time to come. Um, and, you know, However you can do it, just get involved, um, get your voice heard, start talking to people, learn as much as you can, um, and and get out there. Uh, follow her on Twitter, um, R-L-I-U-M-D. The hashtag this week will be uh, NCSC12, pound sign NCSC12. And uh, that's going to be blowing up in the next uh, few days, and it's just going to be very exciting for people to uh, keep track of. Uh, Robin, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I'm sorry it took you a year for me to to, to, to get our schedules all uh, matched <laughs> up, but this has been a, a, a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for the time. Oh, thank you, Mike. Have a good night. All right. Uh, so that's it, kids. So that's, uh, that's it. Thank you so much for Robert Luke for coming on the show. And uh, I really appreciate her coming on. And uh, we're just, this, is just, this is just kicking off the week here, kids. This is just kicking off the week. Tomorrow, the convener will be here. Uh, the conference chair, um, <clears throat> Jay Lee, will be here uh, making fun of me. Uh, so you have to tune in. Um, and then Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning, I believe uh, that is uh, May 2nd, uh, I will have uh, an exclusive interview coming up. Uh, that'll be Wednesday morning. I, have to, I haven't decided on the time yet, but it's going to be very exciting. And, uh, yeah, hey, uh, you people out there on Twitter, uh, start tuning in to NCSC12. That will be the hashtag for the meeting. Uh, and also people on Facebook, go to the NCSC webpage, uh, the NCSC uh, Facebook page. Um, just, uh, just put in National Conference Special Constituencies or AAFP NCSC because uh, I predict that it will be kind of blowing up in the next uh, few days as well. So this is just kicking it off, kids. I'm very excited, uh, if you can't tell already. Uh, and uh, I hope everybody comes back uh, tomorrow night, and uh, I will have my conversation with the Grand Poobah himself. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Jake Lee uh, will be here uh, talking. We'll be talking about well, – um, I will tease this a little bit for people who have uh, – uh, we'll be talking about the uh, the plenary speaker, which is very exciting. So we'll be talking about that during it tomorrow's uh, show. So thank you, guys, for, for joining me. My name is Mike Sevilla. Go to FamilyMedicineRocks.com. Also go to Facebook.com slash FamMedRocks. And I will see everybody tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Good night, everybody.